everyone, and welcome to this special episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. This is the latest in our series of special episodes, and if you know what we do, which I think a lot of you do, you'll know that every so often we like to treat you to a special episode where we're joined by a special guest, and I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. Before we introduce our special guest, and not alone, we need to say hello to our very own in-house Mr. Stat Attack himself, Joris Beck. How are you this evening, sir? Such an honour to be called like that, but I'm, I'm great, so far despite we have we are having some issues with the technical side of this recording so far but i'm sure from now on everything will be smooth absolutely yeah there's a long story behind that not nearly interesting enough should we dive right in yoris because i'm i'm really excited to, to to have a chat with our special guest this is going to be good yeah me too Let's- Let's jump in. Okay, let's let, let's do that. I think I think most of you will know the voice that you're about to hear very well because he provides the World Feed English language commentary for the Belgian Pro League for for eleven sports. It's none other than Mr. Will Downing. Well, a very very warm welcome to the BFP. We're really excited to have you here, Scott. Yours. Thanks very much. I don't know how excited you'll be or how special a guest you think I'll be by the end of this, but hey, we'll see how it goes. Well, let's dive right in, and I'm absolutely desperate to ask you this, as I'm sure lots of people the probably asked you this before but so commentating was it was it a, a deliberate life choice or was it a happy accident no 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 I wanted to do it from the age of nine which might sound quite weird and I think it was I think I heard Guy Mowbray doing one of these podcasts last year when the lockdown was on and he was saying you've got to be mad to want to do this as a kid it's something that most people fall into but I remember at the age of nine um, I kind of worked out at that stage I was not going to be a talented footballer and I'd started noticing at that time that watching football it was kind of the same people who would do it every week and a few very important things happened when I was nine years old. I was given a tape recorder by my mum for my ninth birthday and it was a radio cassette recorder so I was able to you know, find different radio stations like Radio Luxembourg and BBC Radio 2 and I noticed they were doing lots of live football so that was it. That was my you know my Saturday evenings and my Tuesday and Wednesday night set from there on in. Also on Irish television because I because I am Irish um, I am London born I'll admit that but uh, my parents are both Irish moved over at, back home at the age of three. Irish television when I was nine years old start showing Saturday three o'clock games from the then first division and that's when I started noticing that it was the same voices that would pop up every week and my dad also started working doing sports reports uh, Gaelic football reports for the local newspaper which I thought was actually a really cool job so from the age of nine I said this is what I want to do with my career and it kind of took a bit of a sideways turn I was a newsreader for a few years on local radio I was primarily a sports journalist as well when I was working in Dublin first for the national already a news service, INN, but then a new news station started off in Dublin called News Talk and they were looking for commentators because they wanted to do a little bit of live sports and I started doing a few commentaries for local radio as well and it it basically grew from there and within a couple of years uh, Satanta Sports had started off originally in Ireland, launched the sports channel, they needed commentators and it kind of went on from there. So it sounds like you didn't have much choice then. (laughs) No, absolutely. I'm not saying my destiny was planned in advance or anything like that but I am one of the few fortunate people who is working in the job that they said in their, you know, their school articles that they wanted to do. Tell tell us a little bit more about your preparation because I'm fascinated to hear more about this because I know that you know different commentators have different routines that they like to follow and some are kind of quite quite superstitious. Some some are a bit left field depending on on their style as well. What's your what's your general routine? Well, this is going to make really good radio for a podcast and so on. Um, because. The way we're doing this, we've switched all of our videos off, but I'm, I've switched mine back on so I can show you and describe how it is. So traditionally, so for a long time, when I started on TV first, doing commentaries around 2005, I would write everything out on stickers 
And then when we got the team lineups in our advance, I take the stickers out and put them in numerical order, how they were lining up. That would be written longhand. It was really time consuming. It took a long time, but I wasn't doing very many TV commentaries because I was still mainly working on radio and mainly as a broadcast journalist, as opposed to being a sports commentator. But once I'd started doing a lot of stuff in Satanta, but particularly around 2010, a few extra new channels had started off and Satanta in Ireland had started doing a lot of world feeds. So I started doing a huge amount of games in a short space of time. I'd gone freelance by that stage, had worked full-time for INN. I'd worked in full-time radio for about 12, 13 years. But with Satanta, the work was beginning to pile up. And by the time I f- was finishing in radio, I was working about 90 or 100 hours a week, which is not healthy. And I don't recommend it to anybody. <laughs> the only time you should work 100 hours in a week if you work in sport is after you- if you're working on an Olympics or as I'm doing right now as I'm speaking to you on a Paralympics. <laughs> um, so I kind of had to come up with a system where I just wasn't writing things out anymore. It, it wasn't working out. I couldn't, I couldn't quite fathom how I would change it. And then it turned out an old mate of mine from radio, Mark Donaldson, was just starting off with ESPN. And he'd noticed on Twitter, which I just joined, that he was doing the main Sunday night Serie A game for ESPN in the States and the Americas. And I was doing the Sunday night game for Satanta in Ireland. So he suggested, why don't we swap notes? So I was having to scan my longhand written things and emailing them <laughs> over to him as a huge JPEG, whatever it was. And he was sending me back this really handy A4 document. And it, it's really, really very useful because what I do is basically it's got everybody's information on it. It's got all the biographies. So he wasn't the one who developed it. It was actually Jim Proudfoot. I've never met Jim Proudfoot. I've never spoken to him, but Jim, thank you very much because this has changed my life. So like, Everything gets typed out now, which is fine. The reason being, I started 2010. I started doing a lot of work for Satanta's new channel in Africa. And that was centered around a lot of football, obviously, but a lot of African Mm -hmm. sports people who were based in Europe. So there was a tournament called the Copa del Sol, which was played in the south of Spain, which was, you know, the two best clubs from Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and then two big Eastern European giants, which for that year were CSK Moscow and Shakhtar. And yes, now the problem was it was two games a day every day for about a week. So it was about 14 games in the space of a week. And I was right, I was still doing that system of writing everything out longhand. And I developed what in Ireland we call a welt, which was a massive lump on my writing finger, which 11 years on, <laughs> a remnant of it is still there. It's never recovered. And I just thought, I can't do this for the rest of my life. So, so Mark sent me his, what he was using, his little Word document, his grid. So on that, I have got every member of the squad, probably 24, 25 players, a basic biography, who they've played for, you know, the stats, when they were born, how many appearances, how many goals, and so on. So those are the player stats. Now, this is in an A4 sheet. And again, this is great radio, but this is basically what I work off, right? Generally. So everything's there. Everything they've ever won. I find it really useful. Like 90% of the information I would think you prep, you would, if the game is any way good, you would never use. So those are the squad sheets. And then at the bottom, when the team news comes in about 75, 80 minutes beforehand, I just scribble it down there. And I've got other information, extraneous information at the bottom, which is, you know, basically who's won the last five player of the year awards and like the transfer news as well, if you like. So that's one page. Then I do another page 
which is club <laughs> stats, which basically goes onto the facing sheet of a big A4 pad that I have. Basically, okay. everything they've ever won, their finishes for the last 60 years, stuff about the coaches, how they're doing in the particular seasons, goal scorers. And something actually very key for Belgium and a couple of other countries, Italy as well, who the directors are and what they look like. Because when I was working on South American football, which I did for 10 years, they would go to shots of directors in the crowd and I'd have no idea who they were. Or I worked in the Copa America in 2011 for a few different continents. And you'd have shots in the crowd of, you know, the Argentine president or the Chilean prime minister or the Colombian secretary of state. It's like, okay, Honestly, I do need to know who these people are. So then I continued <laughs> doing that for the various leagues that I was working on. So that's what I had done for 10 years. And then kind of out of the blue, which we'll probably come to very soon. Last year, after working on Belgian football out of a studio in Dublin, in the same studio that I'd worked on for 10 years of the Cup of Libertadores and three years of Serie A, five years of Ligue 1, years of European basketball, African handball championship, stuff like that. At very, very short notice during the lockdown, during the COVID lockdown, uh, suddenly the distribution rights for the Pro League changed when 11 sports came on board Mm -hmm. and they decided they would take the international rights and the international distribution in-house. And there was quite a bit of toing and froing, but it was only about maybe eight, nine days before the start of the season when they said, actually, it is not going to be done in Dublin anymore. It's going to be done in Belgium. So if you want <laughs> to do the continuation of your job, you have to move to Belgium. So I said, well, I won't move, but I can come over and back if you like. So I ended up mm-hmm. then doing the Pro League from Belgium. And after a week or two, it's done from Proxima Studios. Eleven used that. They use the Proxima Studios mm-hmm. sort of in the North City Centre. And after a couple of weeks, my producer there, Bart, said... Look, this is all really good, but even I can't read that tiny print. It's about 5.5 or 5. <laughs> so Bart then walked in one day and he said, look, here it is an A3. Would you like it an A3 from now on? And yes, yes, it makes life a lot easier for me. So he prints everything out for me in A3. And like I type everything up myself. It's mm-hmm. I, I keep every sheets like that that I've ever done since you know the start of 2011 when I started doing that and that's how I have all the information but as I say you would only use a lot of that information if it is a horrible game yeah for, for the listeners like we'll really show like a huge book for with stats here so to paint the picture like of course you can't see that uh, like we did but yeah it's this is my A4 pad it's actually slightly larger than A4 spiral pad it has to be because if it's an ordinary A4 pad then A4 sheets won't actually stick into it. They're too big. So it has to be slight. And there's only one company and it's an Irish company that actually makes pads these big. There used to be a different (laughs) company used to make these, but not anymore. So I had to go into a particular shop in Dublin and, you know, get those. And I've, I've tried all over Belgium, everywhere I've worked, Middle East, uh, Chile, Brazil, to see if there's any other kind of book that is like this, but there isn't. I can only buy those books in Dublin in a particular store, but it works for me somehow. That's, that's amazing, actually. That's amazing. You were touching on kind of, you know, the location aspect of it there as well. And I'm glad you mentioned that because we were going to ask you, obviously, things have changed beyond recognition in the last 18 months or so. And, you know, that that possibility to, to commentate live on site in stadiums is not something that's that's been an option for, for kind of such a long time. Has, has that... Has that in any way changed your your routine um, or is it just the same? It's just it's purely the location that changes. Yeah, it's kind of the location that changes. I mean, I've done a lot of on-site commentary work through my career, particularly Premier League. Did a lot of Premier League on-site for 
the first few seasons when I started concentrating on commentary only and on TV work only instead of radio. Because when I left radio, when I left my full-time radio job, I was the sports editor at INN. I'd been there for 10 years, sort of worked in full-time radio for quite a long time. And I went freelance basically to work in radio. And within, I think, 48 hours, I'd done two TV commentaries. Within two weeks, I'd been at the Champions League quarterfinal. I asked Liverpool, I'd been at both. FA Cup semifinals. It was the year that Portsmouth and, and Cardiff reached the cup final. And almost immediately, my career took an absolutely different turn. And within a month, I'd been contacted by Satanta UK's football unit. Yes, that's Satanta Sports, who were based in Glasgow, asked me if I could do Copa Libertadores for them because they'd been recommended. And were it not for the fact that I'd quit my full time radio job a couple of weeks earlier, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it. So most of the work I would do now is basically all done in studio. I did 10 years of the Belgian league previously out of Dublin. First season was for Satanta Africa. Then there was a bit of a calamity over the rights. The original distributors 10, 11 years ago, they had a big problem with piracy back in the days of, I can't even remember what the website was. It's closed now. Justin, I think it was Justin TV. Mm-hmm. stuck a whole load of different live leagues on. It was the early days of internet piracy. So what the distributors decided to do, and they're distributors who haven't been involved in, in the Pro League in a long, long time, they decided that external markets outside of Belgium would be fed the live TV pictures on a one-hour delay. Now, what that means is that suddenly the league becomes very, very unattractive to all of the TV companies who were receiving it. So, And this was for yeah. maybe the last couple of months of the season so like you'd be sitting in studio at 7 30 for a game kicking off at 7 30 but you wouldn't start getting the pictures until 8 30 so what's the tanta africa did after (laughs) that was they said right we are not going to show this again thank you very much and i'm sure quite a few countries you know withdrew so it looked like that would be the end of my relationship with the belgian league and i'd actually really enjoyed it like compared to a lot of other leagues that i'd worked on such as Ligue 1, such as even Serie A. I actually found the Pro League really, really exciting to work on. And as fate would have it, three years later, Satanta International just basically came to me, I would say, a week before the start of the 2014-15 season and said, right, we looks like we've got the distribution rights for the Belgian Pro League. Is this something that would interest you? And basically, I bit their hand off. Because basically, how I started yeah. working on the Pro League full stop. Now, I, I will be really honest, when the offer came in the summer of 2010, and I didn't want to work on the Belgian League. I didn't want to do it at all. And I'll tell you why. And it's a specific reason. I wasn't being a, a football snob or anything like that. And it wasn't a case of the, it's the Premier League or nothing. But I was I was out in Barcelona at the European Athletics Championships. And athletics is the other main sport that I really do alongside football. And it was at the time when Ireland had three really good athletes. And at European level, we'd always expect to pick up a medal or something like that. And the last couple of days of the championships, we were going to have Dervil O'Rourke going in the women's 100 meters hurdles. She was the world indoor champion with David Gillick, who ironically I am working with right now, as I'm talking to you this week on the Paralympic (laughs) Games for RTE. And we had another guy, Paul Hessian, who was dubbed at the time, probably in an un-PC fashion as the fastest white man in the world, but it actually probably was accurate. So basically I was in Barcelona. I got an email, I think a couple of days into the championships from Satanta Ireland saying, look, we've just got rights to Liverpool's, it was Europa League playoff away against Rabat Nitschke on Thursday night. Uh, we'll fly you over. We can fly you back to Barcelona for the championships. Do you want to do it? 
said, okay, that's fine. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm only going to miss one day. That's okay. No problem. Then a couple of hours later, Satan's International emailed me to say, look, we've got, we've got Belgian football, three games this weekend. Do you want to do it? And this was the end of July. And I thought, well, okay, there must be friendlies because no league is mad enough to start as early as July. So there's no <laughs> way that this is competitive football. But the rate is very good. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I, I basically <laughs> want to come back to Barcelona and do my, you know, fulfill my athletics work. So then I did a quick bit of research and it turned out it was the opening league of the 2010-11 Belgian league season. And because it was week one, you're kind of in a quandary. Okay, if I turn this down, then this may be offered to someone else. Nobody's mentioning week two, three, four, or anything like that. But if they're showing week one, then surely they have the rights to everything else. And it might be in my best interest just to say, okay, despite the fact I'm in Barcelona and I'm doing a job I really love in a sport that I am massive athletics fan, I kind of said, okay, I'll stay in Dublin. I'll do these three games and we'll see what comes of it. And then obviously there was a week two, there was a week three. And I mean, I'm now basically in a 12th season not where I've done every single season of the 12, but I'm now in my 12th season of working on Belgian football. And probably it was the right decision to miss those days of athletics. And to come back what you mentioned earlier, like, and I know uh, mostly Ben and Scott are asked uh, themselves as well. What, why is it that you find that Belgian league so attractive in comparison to um, like the Liga <laughs> and Serie A, as you mentioned before? Uh, it's quite simple. The Belgian Pro League, along with the Eredivisie, in my experience, are the highest scoring leagues around, pretty much. Like, it's usually an average mm -hmm. of over three goals a game. The the Pro League and the Eredivisie are actually very comparable. Obviously, it's the same part of the world, but it's kind of the same ethic. It's really attack-minded. They're both generally in the top 10 leagues leagues in Europe in terms of the coefficient that's that's kind of when I, I started researching the pro league first that week when I was in Barcelona at the athletics seeing that it was ranked then almost as now eighth in Europe and I thought okay well this is a good standard maybe I'll do the entire season and we'll see what comes of that it, it, it is a high scoring league and as we all know as everybody listening will know the best players generally after a few seasons after they're allowed to develop are plucked away by bigger leagues and they become really big star names and it it's not deliberate but it's kind of a nice thought that i might be raving away on twitter to the i've got about five thousand followers there's only about okay maybe a hundred or two hundred who probably would follow me for the Belgian league or might be a bit higher than that. And so the rest who might follow me because they, they know me as a sports journalist or know me for athletics or know me off TV or some other reason probably have no interest in it. But if, you know, someone like Yari Verscaren pops up and becomes a massive name in world football in the same way that Kevin De Bruyne has done or uh, Yella Vossen had done or Thibaut Courtois, then, you know, at least I mentioned them when they weren't really that known outside of Belgium. So kind of, you know, Hey, we were there first. That is an interesting remark to me because, like, as a Belgian, like, we also see the the difference between the Eredivisie and the Belgian league more like in the Eredivisie it's like an attacker's paradise so that there is a lot of goals and in Belgium we, we like to think that uh, our defenses well, are a bit stronger and that's also maybe the mindset in the league is actually slightly different in that sense like more not necessarily more defensive but more physical I guess anyway uh, but okay I guess that's also another thing but I just wanted to throw it in here I mean what I would say because one of my other jobs over the past three four seasons was doing the the Sunday morning Eredivisie game for ESPN Africa which was quite a unique situation uh, because Satanta Africa got sold to Fox Sports but they continued using the facilities in Dublin then that became ESPN Africa and they also now they are based in Hilversum 
in Amsterdam, but when it had been sold to, to Fox in 2014, they moved the transmission and everything, bar the commentary booths, to Hilversum in the Netherlands, where, where all the TV companies are based. And an overhang of that was, well, this is the same company that does all the production and has the domestic rights for the AWZ in the Netherlands. So I ended up doing, you know, what probably would be the fourth ranked game in the Netherlands most weeks. I would alternate with Mark Rodden, who had previously worked on the Belgian League when it was being done in Dublin. And okay, so it meant that we weren't getting the Ajax, PSV or Feyenoord games, but we might sometimes get Azad Altmar, we might sometimes get Willem Tway or FC Twente, sometimes a really attractive side. I just personally feel that there's a lot more strength and depth in Belgium in terms of the clubs and in terms of the players because it will happen a lot. We've seen it in the case, we'll say, of Noah Lang, where a notable player in the area of Z will actually move south. It doesn't really tend to happen in the opposite direction. If you have a notable player in Belgium, then they may go to France or Germany or England. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually, which kind of leads me very nicely into what I was going to ask you next. And that that was, you know, who, who do you like watching? You know, what, what teams and players in Belgium at the moment are, are exciting you? Well, I can't be accused of bias. I have to say all of them. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, the, the way I'll answer that is I actually love players and the coaches who've been there for a long time. And mm. so, I mean, you'd be talking the likes of Ruud Vormer, you'd be talking Hans Van Aken, Sylvia Proto when he was in goal for Anderlecht and went to a stender for a bit. Olivier Descartes, actually, when mm-hmm. he was at Anderlecht, brilliant yep. stalwart. Yella Vossen, and obviously players yep. who've gone away for a bit and come back. Richard Lart. I have to say, I love Lam Kelze because he's... Just a walking, he's a walking story. He's a walking news wall. Even when he's not playing, he's making news. He's, he's making things happen. Not necessarily, you know, the great headline makers. I, I mean, I loved watching Jonathan David when he was there. Stefano Akaka when he was at Anderlecht. Theodorczyk when he was at Anderlecht. Sort of players who make a really good name for themselves, but who show a little, a little bit of loyalty in sticking around. Because the interesting thing was when the, when the lockdown happened, obviously the Belgian league stopped and I'd, I'd been working on that with the other World Feed commentators who were Mark. Rodden and, and Stephen Alkin. We'd worked on those for six years out of Dublin. So then that league stops and then they make the decision that they're going to cancel the league altogether. So then you start thinking, well, look, we could be out of work for four months, five months, six months. And literally I, I was out of work for three months myself, which is the longest I've ever been out of work since mm-hmm. basically my second summer in college when I was 20 years old. And obviously like everybody, I hated it. I didn't enjoy it at all. And then Satan's International came along and said, right, we have an option potentially for Premier Sports because they're sister companies. We might be able able to sign up the Belarusian League would you fancy working on that so um, now that's an interesting question because is is some work better than no work it, it would have been you know for a very very low rate and you kind of think well I'm not sure I really want to do that so look if you up the rate to somewhere near the normal rate then probably I would be happy doing it I'm not I'm not sure if it would have benefited me to become known as the voice of the of the Belarusian League. But anyway, that deal fell through. So a couple of weeks later, I was asked if I wanted to do the Polish League. And the Polish League I had done in a fill-in basis for a few seasons for Satanta Africa. Paul Dempsey actually used to do that every week. He used to do two games. But they used to be on regular times, maybe Friday night and Monday night. And they would not have been the prime Polish slots. And I have to say, I did about a dozen games and I hated it. It was, I felt it was a horrible standard of football. Usually it was nil, nil or one nil. Never mind the names. I don't mind that. But it was just the football itself was absolutely awful. So then I got an offer. Do you want to do the Polish league? And I, I basically snapped their hand off, said, yeah, I will do it. 
<laughs> I, I won't say I would do anything because, you know, the Belarusian league was probably, you know, a step too far. But I ended up doing the Polish league. So I did that for a few weeks and got into the rhythm of it. Had to do a lot of work, had to do a huge amount of research. So very reminiscent of when I was doing the Belgian league in the very, very early days back in 2010. And a journalist from the state broadcaster there, TVP, sort of made contact and said, listen, I see you're doing commentary in the UK on free sports and premier sports. Do you mind if I do an interview with you about what you think about Polish football? So, okay, that's fine. So the question he asked was, what would you compare the extra class to? And the league uh, I thought of most was, well, actually it compares quite well to the Belgian league, but there are quite a lot of differences. I can, I can see how the standard has increased in the last 10 years. But I would say the main difference between the extra class and the Belgian league is that in Belgium, if you're a good young player, you will stay two or three years. You'll become a really good player and then you'll be snatched, snatched away by a really big league. Whereas in, in Poland, if you've six good months, then you'll be grabbed just like that and, and not necessarily going to a good league. So like in terms of Belgium, I, I honestly, I've always loved the Belgian league compared to any other league I've worked on. I found it really, really interesting. Okay, so the, the next thing I actually wanted to ask you, and I simply must ask you this because some of the, some of our uh, listeners have been asking us to specifically ask you this. So this is, this is a, a totally understandable question. What would your advice be to anyone who's looking to get into commentary? Because there are so many, so many budding, you know, sports commentators of different kinds out there. What would your advice be as someone who's been doing it for since you were nine (laughs) well no i wasn't doing it since i was nine but actually what i would say is okay i'm gonna have to phrase this in such a way that i don't insult anybody but um when i was quite young i don't know maybe 10 or 11 or whatever like bbc and itv commentators we we would occasionally get them on irish tv and they really impressed me so i used to sit at the coffee table in our living room like my dad worked a lot he was he was in the building trade so he would work usually on a saturday so it'd be me me and my mum basically uh so when the saturday afternoon three o'clock games were on i would be sitting at the coffee table and i would just start commentating on the games which is a bit deranged i know and i (laughs) like i would do that so god help my parents when the world cup would be on or something like that because i'd be doing it twice a day and invariably they would say look please just shut up so when there were any irish commentators doing football i would always commentate on the game myself which is quite strange i am not advising anybody to do that at all but like the thing i would say is start local always start local Mm -hmm. if if your local football team are videoing their games if they don't have a commentator if there's a gap in your local radio station write to your local radio station see if they want anybody even to report on football games do a little bit of commentary if there's hospital radio in the area do that i actually started off in print i would be writing reports on school games i actually first got published at the age of 10 it it helps when your dad I would say is, you know, doing a job like that. Um, I was writing on school games because I wasn't playing. I was a terrible footballer. Absolutely. I, I wasn't in the squad. I wasn't being picked. I was one of the few boys in my school and it was a small school in a rural area in Southern Ireland, um, in County Waterford, that wasn't involved with the school team. But I was able to write quite well. And I had a big interest in sport, in all sport. So one of the school teachers, a guy called Ronan Kalu, said, look, why don't you go along to games and write a match report? Because basically what would have happened otherwise is that I would have been the only boy across three classes that would have been in class and the rest were all girls. So it was kind of said, well, well, why don't you go and write match reports or something like that? So I did that and kind of really enjoyed it. And then there was a scheme where school reports, school match reports would appear in the local newspaper. And the the angle on it was, was that it would be the actual school kids writing it. 
So I was the one who was doing it for my particular school, Aglish NS, in Aglish, with population 300 by the River Blackwater. <laughs> but um, like I just started like that, and it was a one or a two year thing that was very good. But then I went on to secondary school and I thought, well, I'm not going to do that again. But then a parish newsletter started up. And I was asked because people knew that I had a little bit of a talent for writing, would I want to do that? And then my local sort of underage Gaelic football team, again, my dad was the press officer for them. I was asked, could I write a few reports on that? Because again, I wasn't playing. I was a rubbish footballer. I'm awful at all sports. I think I won a pool league match once when I was 20 and that's it. I'm, I'm really talentless when it comes to any sport, but I am interested in all sport. I certainly was interested a lot more when I was younger. So like I would say for six years from the age of 14 to 20, I was doing match reports on underage games. And then um, an ultra local, basically a community radio station opened up in my area when I was 19. And I said, look, are you doing any sport? And they said, well, our, our broadcasting hours are quite limited. But, you know, hey, we'll put you on the list. We'll keep your name on file, etc." But they actually rang me back when they were starting. And they said, look, what can you do? Um, so I did you know, a few sports reports that were rung in. There was a guy there who kind of liked my voice, who was a DJ, but he'd been given the job also of a sports editor because he was a DJ who liked sports. He said, look, what I want to be involved and do some programs and so on. And I ended up doing that. So I ended up doing a lot of local commentaries when their broadcasting hours were extended to Sunday afternoons. It was usually Gaelic games or football or a little bit of athletics, actually. So that was fine. That suited me. We did live cycling once. That was really cool. So, so I really enjoyed that. And then I ended up working on commercial radio for a station called Southeast Radio, uh, what ended up happening there was, and this is not the question you asked me, but I promise I will answer it. Um, I've been working with Hospital Radio and it was a regional station. So it was a regional hospital, shall I say, that covered five counties. And counties in Ireland are very important, even more so maybe than in the UK. If you're from Lincolnshire or if you're from, I don't know, Shropshire, is it that important? If you're from Cheshire, is it really important? But if you're from County Waterford, County Cork, County Galway, any of the 32 counties, that is part of your identity. So it covered five uh, counties in the southeast. So I decided to do, I was made sports editor there, which was basically a meaningless title. I was the person who did sport in it. And like I was volunteering maybe four or five hours a week. And I just ring around all the local clubs and so on. So they gave me a program there after about a year and I was about 18 or 19. And I decided, right, if we're looking after five counties or if there are people from five counties who are ill in our hospital, why don't we do something that is local specifically for them? So I contacted the five local radio stations in the area because in Ireland, every county has its own independent commercial radio station and asked if the sports editors would come on. And some did, some forgot, and so on. But I opened up a really good relationship with one of the guys from Southeast Radio in Wexford. And because of that, they started ringing me saying, look, we've got a team playing in your area on Saturday. Do you think you'd be able to come on and do a voice report? Um, So, okay, fine, I'll do that. They didn't know if I was any good. They didn't know if I had a good voice or anything like that. So it did the match report, did it, you know, how long do you want it? And they said it can be any duration you like. So I did a 90 second report. And then basically, I think three weeks in a row, they just happened to have a team who were playing mainly Gaelic games in my area. So I was on with them three weeks in a row. They thought my voice was quite good. So then they asked me if I could start doing match reports into bulletins, which meant the reports had to be short for maybe 30, 40 seconds. So after that, they used me quite a bit 
here and there anytime they had a team in my area because basically their radio station was based about 80 or 90 miles away from where I actually lived. And I was, again, I was 18 or 19. I was a computing student, by the way, in Waterford IT. I I had applied to do journalism, (laughs) didn't get in anywhere. So I was working for hospital radio, a little bit for community radio, and then occasional reports for a proper commercial radio station. And after about nine months, I just asked them, look, could I come in someday and just have a look around your your radio station? So they said, okay, we'll think about it. We'll, We'll try and pick a day. That's very, very quiet. Again, this isn't the question you asked me, but okay, I'm getting there, okay? Um, So it turned out to be Leinster hurling final day. Hurling is a massive sport in Ireland. Gaelic football is bigger, but the parts of the country where hurling is big, it is a religion. And Wexford had, Wexford were playing, I think it was awfully, and they hadn't won a Leinster title in about 20 years. So there was nobody in the station. Everybody was doing their OB up in Dublin at Krog Park, which probably you've heard of it's the, it's it's essentially mm-hmm. the national stadium along with the aviva so yeah. they said that would be a good day for me to come up because basically none of the broadcasting was coming from wexford they could show me around and you know i could go home again so right go away and you can do your reports again in a few weeks and then something absolutely unexpected happened which was wexford actually won which meant that the guy who was there on sport a guy called david fallon ended up having to concentrate on taking hurling interviews in basically their entire programming for the night changed so what happened then was okay you work for hospital radio you have a slight idea what you're doing i want you to ring all these numbers you have to look after all of the other sports today okay fine so what <laughs> i did was i rang around got all the results and got the reports typed out reports for david to read and he said no i'm too busy for this you are going to have to go on and read them because they <laughs> something like sports reports, a big roundup between six and seven, which is still the case on a Saturday and a Sunday night. Basically, it has been in their schedule since the station opened almost 35 years ago. So the first half hour of the program was all hurling. And then basically there was going to be a sports roundup for 10 minutes, which was me, which I was not expecting at all being a computing student, visiting a proper radio station for the first time in my life. And then suddenly I'm thrown on air because something unexpected has happened. So read them pretty much in the same voice that I have now. My voice hasn't changed in 25 years. When I was quite young at the age of 20, people always said that I had a voice much older than I actually was. And now, unfortunately, because I am much older, they're saying, gosh, you have a really young voice. You're clapped out. We thought you were about 25. Um, <laughs> So basically, and within a few weeks, they offered me a job uh, part time. First day of the football season, actually. And I remember it was, was it Middlesbrough, Liverpool? I think was the main three o'clock game. It was Ravinelli's debut for Middlesbrough. Oh, wow. But Bjornaby scored after two minutes. And the way, the way you got the scores then was it was, it was CFAX. Mm, and it would only yeah. be the player's surname. And they were quite impressed by the fact that I knew the, fir- the full name. Over every player. So it's sticking you want to be scored for Brizio Ravinelli, Julian Dix, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. within another four or five weeks, David had actually quit to go and do something else. And they offered me his job. So thanks, David. You gave me a career in broadcasting. But to anybody <laughs> who wants to get a job, start local, apply everywhere. You will probably get your foot in the door. And it might be frustrating. And you probably won't be paid very much, if at all, for the first six months, year, whatever, like a... I did two years of hospital and community radio and didn't get paid a penny for it. I did those match reports for Southeast Radio at the same time for a year and got paid £10 a game. So I might have been making 30 or £40 a month from it. Apply everywhere. Whether it's written, whether it's local broadcast, that is the 
best way to start because the way that broadcast networks are, you start at the bottom rung, somebody a step above you will notice you. You go a step above that, you go a step above that before you know it. As was the case with me, I would say within three years, I was working nationally. And that's a lot more common now in Ireland because there are a lot more sport outlets and sport channels and so on, but it was very rare back then. Basically, if you have an interest in sport, that's it. That's that's what you need. If you're not interested in sport or football, then this is not the profession for you. You have to have the interest first and the gumption and a little bit of initiative. And don't worry about bothering people or bugging people because <laughs> they'll get to know you. They'll know your name, even if you're the little pest that emails them twice a week, do it, do it. Because I mean, it's basically, it is what I did. And it's how I ended up basically getting up in the ladder. Hospital radio was an absolute fluke because I just happened to be in the hospital. My grandmother was ill. I saw ads saying that hospital radio was starting out. Do people want to volunteer? Knocked on the door, met a guy, an old guy called John Walsh, who used to work in pirate radio because independent radio was only licensed in Ireland in 1989. He'd started off hospital radio and said, Again, like commercial radio, I was the only person who'd spoken to them who knew anything about sports. I, um, again, pestering them. I, I just started college. I went in every day the first week they were broadcasting. Then on the Friday, the DJ who was on obviously was sick of me. And he said, right, look, the sport this weekend, sit there, put the headphones on. I said, OK, wh- what do you want to do? Whatever record was playing ended put the fader up and he said, right, um, we have a new contributor here. Here's Will Downing, knows a little bit about sports. So what are you looking forward to this weekend? And literally that was it. That was my first appearance on air. I don't know, five listeners, 500, I'm not sure, but it kind of started there. Wow, there you go. So a bit of perseverance goes a long way. I think I think that's the, the lesson there. Now, sure. what we've got for you, what we've got here for you, Will, is we've got a bit of fun here and something we've never done before at the BFP. We've got some quick fire questions. Some of these might be one word answers. Some of them might require two or three or no comments are equally allowed. Uh, so strap, strap yourself in. Here we go. Right. Scott, this might be fun yeah. for you, not necessarily for me. <laughs> okay, let, let, let's see where this goes. Describe yourself in three words. Handsome, vivacious, liar. <laughs> what do you wish you had known when you'd started out? Always ask to get paid. <laughs> in advance. <laughs> even better, even better. Give us one thing from Will Downing's bucket list. Blimey. Ooh, now you're asking me. Visit Iceland. Good one. Good one. Definitely. What are you curious about right now? How I'm going to reach the end of the Paralympics without going into a coma for a week. Because, (laughs) okay, this is probably going to go out in October or November or something. Right now, I'm in the middle of working on the Paralympics for RTE. There's been a big article in the Irish Times about a... uh, Sorry, this is not a three-word answer. But I'm working on the Paralympics right now, and... Like, curiously, there's a big article about Jason Smith winning a gold for Ireland in the Paralympic Games. He's a big name in Irish sport, and I'm described as RTE's Will Downing, but I've only been with RTE for three days, and my contract with them ends in a week. So, um, yes, trying to get through the next week without keeling over. What's something that annoys you? Bragging rights. I hate the phrase bragging rights. (laughs) Who inspires you? In what sphere? In any sphere. My kids, because it gives me a reason to get up in the morning. I'm sorry for something trite like that, but it's the best thing I can think of. No, great answer. It's a great answer. 
What's Will Downing's favourite drink? I would say Cronenberg. Oh, okay. There's one what scares Will Downing? Lack of work. Definitely. I think a lot of us can relate to that. Do you have any tattoos? No. And there's only one person I would get a tattoo for, but <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> Favourite place in Belgium? Oh boy, well here's a good one. Well, probably the Proxima Studios where I work for Eleven Sports. Um, but I've, I've been in Bruges, I've been in Ghent and I've loved them. I'll tell you what, there's a lovely strip of bars in Antwerp that I discovered a couple of weeks ago. It is fantastic. It's just by the railway station. I absolutely love it. I'll tell you what, Leuven. I went out with a girl from Leuven about 13 or 14 years ago and I only went back to Leuven a few weeks ago. Oh, what a brilliant place. It is absolutely mm. glorious when it doesn't rain because there are street side cafes pretty much in the entire town. It is brilliant. There's, there's hundreds of them. I oh, love, this. I am loving Leuven. Brilliant. And just on the subject of Belgium, seeing as that's why we're all here together, a couple of Pro League related ones to finish off. Stad, Josef Marion or Gemelko Arena? Josef Marion. Okay, yeah, I, I think I would have picked that as well. And last but by no means least, Didi Lamkelze or Paul Onoachu? Ooh, Lamkelze for the drama. Absolutely, I think I would have, I, I would have gone that with that as well well it's been an absolute delight thanks thank you so much for joining us and just before we let you go tell us tell us a wee bit about your socials and how people can get in touch with you if they want to connect with you oh twitter is probably the best way because i don't do tiktok or anything like that um will downing com it's come for commentator and not communist uh that is on twitter <laughs> i do have instagram as well but i don't do very many instas brilliant brilliant well thanks thanks so much so much for your time and uh we we look forward to to hearing those dulcet tones um, soon on some some live pro league action. Looking forward to it. An extra additional question: like, what is the most exciting game you've seen in Belgium in this? What is it? Twelve years? Oh, now you're asking me. Wow, that's really good. It can um, also be a few. Because like I did the seven goal thriller between Genk and Estenda a few weeks ago, but like there've been tons of games like that. They've been really really thrilling. But I, I'll tell you the interesting thing is like it ended up on Premier Sports in the UK for about four years and I'm not sure if you subscribed it was on Free Sports for another year which is a, a sister channel but like the I think the very first game it did was open against Andelect and the policy that we had in Dublin when we were doing the world feed John O'Donnell who was our director there was Eupen is in the is on the German border they're German speaking the club songs they refer to Eupen so we'll go with the German pronunciation instead of the Flemish or the French one so I mean there might be a few pronunciations on the coverage that you don't agree with but it's kind of stuff that we've kind of over a few years said we should use this, like Club Brugge instead of Club Bruges, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But I, uh, there was a game where Yellow Vossen scored a hat-trick. I think Club Bruges won 6-1 away at Zulta. But that was a bit of a right hammering. I mean, like a few weeks ago, Michael Frey scoring five goals, the kind of thing that you just can't prepare for. It's the recent stuff that remains in the memory. But at least once a month, there's a game that I would do and I would say, that's the best game we've ever had. You don't really get very many nil-nils. No, lots of reasons to love the League, definitely I think I think that highlights it as well brilliant if you enjoy listening to the pod and what we're up to we'd be really grateful if you'd consider leaving us a wee review on whatever platform you guys access your pods that really helps us spread the word about uh, all of the great things kind of going on in Belgian football and helps more people find us as well and we'd also really love to hear from you if you've got any questions comments or, or feedback particularly in our specials we've had some great engagement with with listeners recently you can get in touch with us on Twitter by tweeting us at Belgian pod 
podcast and you can attack each of us individually, which we know that some of you love to do. Uh, you can find us all individually on Twitter. Um, our regular host, Ben, can be attacked at BenJack94. You can find me at Scott underscore coin and our Yoris is at Yoris underscore bet. Alternatively, if you can't stand social media, and I know lots of you can't, then uh, you can email us directly at BelgianFootPodcast at gmail.com. So thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you soon for another special episode of the BFP. Thank you.